You are Locked On Ravens, your daily Baltimore Ravens podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back to the final Locked On Ravens episode of this week on Purple Friday. I'm your host, Kevin Ostriker of Ravens Wire. And with me after a brief hiatus from the show is Matthew Stevens of Ravens Wire. Matthew, we have a lot to talk about today. Schedule included. How are you doing today? I'm doing all right, man. Uh, we're, we're now in that lull period where uh, I really want real football to actually come back. Uh, I, I want to be able to see games again, see guys practicing on the field at the very least. Yeah, you, you have things like the draft, and then you have things like the schedule release. It all just builds you up to actually not have anything for these next few months. So, you know, however long it's going to end up being, it's a little bit of just, oh, I want it back already. I'm, I'm right there with you. But, Matthew, we didn't get a chance to talk about the schedule that was released a few weeks ago. Now, the Ravens ended up getting, I think, a pretty favorable schedule, obviously, in terms of strength of schedule. They have the easiest in 2020, according to the 2019 records. But a lot of that has to do with the fact that they're playing the team with the worst record in the league in 2019 twice. It seems like they have their games pretty spread out across the board. What was your first reaction when you saw where the Ravens are going to be playing and when? Well, I, I think... Uh... You know, we had done some predictions beforehand about like what 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 could this potentially be, and then you start seeing things. And you're like, oh man, you know, a bunch of uh, uh, primetime games, two Thursday night games, a Monday game, you know, all, all in a row. Those things tend to have a little wear and tear on a team. Uh, you start going, all right, well, well, can they win those games? And yeah, you know, so so all in all, I think uh, exciting for Baltimore fans. It's going to be some late nights, but uh, some some good teams. Primetime games, a few of them in a row, especially toward the uh, end of the season, where they're going to go ahead and battle against New England, uh, then Tennessee, then Pittsburgh uh, on on Thanksgiving, then Dallas the the next Thursday, uh, and then ending with the Cleveland Browns on Monday Night Football. You know that, that that's going to be a good, exciting five week stretch uh, for Ravens fans. Hopefully, they're at the winning end of all of that, but some, some good stuff for fans to watch at the very least this season. Yeah, I think so, too. And the Ravens, with those five primetime games, I think those are critical. Just how important is it for a young team to be put into that national spotlight? So many times, the Ravens, obviously, are going to have a target on their back this year, just like they did for most of last season. But how important are these primetime games for young teams to go out and grow together? Well, man, I think they are super important. I mean, you know, we see every year, not every team is great in primetime, just like Baltimore wasn't great uh, over in London. Some teams just handle that stuff a little bit better than other ones. But, you know, whenever you're put pressure upon, uh, and, and those Monday night games, those Thursday night games, Thanksgiving especially, you know, everyone in the world's watching. Uh, as, as much as maybe as a player, you're like, all right, look, everybody's already watching anyway. Um, you know, th those games do mean a little bit more, I think, to the players and the coaching staff because it really is their chance to go, look, you know, we are the best team in football, or at least we're the best team on, uh, you know, right now, and, and to go out there and actually prove it. So those things tend to matter a little bit more. Uh, they matter, I think, more for the, the traveling team who has to, you know, figure things out and, and be in town for a little while or, or show up and then try to play under the lights in, in a hostile stadium when everything's kind of ramped up. Um, but luckily, Baltimore, you know, doesn't have a, a boatload of those uh, this season. 
Yeah, I think I think the primetime games, you have to look at them, and they're an opportunity for this team to go out and prove that last year was not a fluke. And when you look at the team, I think that, you know, them growing together in those games, it's going to be really important. But looking at the actual teams that the Ravens are playing, the, the when and the where, when you look at the Ravens' schedule, Matthew, what game really jumps out to you as a game that's a must-win for Baltimore to really set a tone for their season? Man, I'd like to think that week one is really it. Um, you know, you're going up against Cleveland. Cleveland's going to want to go ahead and smack you in the mouth. It's the first game of the season. It's it's bragging rights within the AFC North, if not, you know, potentially a playoff spot later on down the road. Uh, that week one game is going to be really what sets the tone for both teams. If Baltimore goes out there and just bludgeons Cleveland for 60 minutes, uh, you know, Cle- Cleveland, at least in the past, has not been able to recover from that. Uh, and they tend to struggle. Baltimore's done obviously better, but you know the the, the flip side of that, Baltimore gets beat by uh, Cleveland pretty bad. You know that again, that's something that sticks with you. And you go to Houston the next week, and yet Kansas City the week after that. You know, that that's a little bit tougher to do that on a on a zero and one to a division rival. So um, that's kind of a big one to me. And then of course Kansas City, whenever you're going up against the Super Bowl champions, you know especially for a team that a lot of people thought. Maybe should have been in the Super Bowl instead. Uh, maybe or at least should have been competing more for that in the AFC Championship game. You know that that's a game that I think a lot of people are going to have their eyes on. Certainly Baltimore fans, certainly Kansas City fans. I know they've been chirping at each other for the last few months. Anyway, uh, that's going to be bragging rights between those two fan bases. And again, it's going to be you know if Baltimore beats Kansas City and is, especially if they could beat them by a decent margin, you know all of a sudden they're now wearing the crown. Uh, vice versa, if Kansas City goes ahead and beats up on Baltimore there, uh, and again by a wide margin, uh, they, they've proven that they're once again the best team in football right now. So that that's another big game that I think early in the schedule will really set the tone for how the Ravens kind of kickstart their season uh, and, and maybe if they have to try to make up stuff at the end versus uh, kind of coasting into the playoffs. Yeah, let's kind of dive into that Kansas City game a bit, Matthew, because I I think you're right. That game is going to be vitally important, just like that Cleveland game in week one. But it seems like Lamar Jackson and the Ravens have really been trying to get over that Kansas City hump for the past two years now with both of the past two games they've played against the team being losses. When you look at Kansas City now traveling to M&T Bank Stadium instead of playing in Arrowhead, just how much of a difference and an advantage, you know, fans or not, does that make for the Ravens? Well, I think, you know, when you're discussing about hometown advantage, I think you really are discussing the fans. Uh, And this is for both teams. You know, Kansas City has a very loud stadium. They're known as one of the loudest uh, in the league. Baltimore also, no slouch when it comes to that. Uh, You know, uh, that chant, manure chant, uh, over TV will certainly attest to just how loud Baltimore can get uh, if they decide they want to get loud. You know, so so if fans are in attendance, I, I think that's going to be a huge thing for both teams. If not, maybe that that uh, you know edge doesn't count nearly as much as it uh, would have with fans in the stands. But either way, I, I'd fully expect both teams to be as ramped up for that one as as humanly possible regardless of if fans are in the stands, regardless of what the records are. Uh, that's a game where both teams are really going to look to take it out on each other. Yeah, I agree. The fans being there, it's a major advantage for the home team. And we've seen it over the years with you mentioned the Chiefs fans and Arrowhead, the Ravens fans. It's very important to have fans in the stands. Now, obviously, safety concerns might prevent that for next season and whoever knows how long. But I think that 
just the fact that the Ravens are at home will provide at least a little tiny bit of an advantage, even if there are no fans there. But Matthew, you have the Ravens, who I mentioned have that easiest strength of schedule when you look at 2019 records. And when you go and look at the schedule down the list, the Ravens have sometimes had some trouble beating opponents that they should beat. Sometimes they play down to some teams and it results in some losses that really have some key impact on the playoff positioning. When you look at this Ravens 2020 schedule, what are some games that really pop out to you as games that the Ravens could potentially lose if they don't take the opponent seriously enough? Well, again, we're going to go back to week one against the Cleveland Browns. Um, you know, every year I end up doing this every year I'm asked to about the Cleveland Browns and, and, oh man, it looks like they're really getting it on a roll. And every year I go, I'll hold my breath, uh, or I won't hold my breath. Uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. And every year I'm proven right to be honest with you. But, um, you know, th- that's a game where Cleveland has a lot of talent. If they finally get some things clicking, if they get a coaching staff, uh, that, that can, can ride that line between, you know, being player friendly and also holding their guys, uh, you're responsible for things and they can kind of get everyone to focus. That's a scary team. But on the flip side, they're also a team that, you know, as we saw last at the end of last season, uh, you know, B- Baltimore could stomp all over if they really, if things are going bad for Cleveland, uh, it, it's going to go really, really bad for Cleveland against Baltimore. Uh, that's one of those games. I think that, uh, and as we were discussing before, you know, th- that, that can carry some weight into the season being the first game. Uh, Cincinnati, you, you got a new quarterback, number one overall pick. That automatically ramps you up uh, a, a, another level. And while Cincinnati wasn't good last year, even with Andy Dalton, uh, and, I, and I can't imagine Joe Burrow is going to be infinitely better than Andy Dalton in his first season, uh, Cincinnati, again, is not another one of those teams that could be hungry and could easily go ahead and spoil some things for Baltimore. Uh, one of those games is really kind of worth two of every other game. So, uh, th- those two are super important. And then I, I look at uh, a team like Jacksonville. They're tanking, but man, by the end of the season, those players are either going to be tired of tanking uh, and, and want to take their frustrations out on somebody. And if Baltimore's kind of taking it easy at the end of the season, they feel like they've got to coast with Jacksonville, New York Giants, and Cincinnati Bengals to end the season. Jacksonville could sneak up on them and uh, kind of shock them a little bit. Yeah, but Matthew, I don't think it would be right if I didn't ask you for a record prediction after all of this. And mine is still 15-1. and I'm still going to go strong on my very bold record prediction. But I want to get your opinion, looking at the schedule, looking at the primetime games, the times, where Baltimore plays and when. What do you think this record for Baltimore, as the roster stands right now, is going to be by the time January rolls around? Well, in my roster predictions, I I figured they were going to go 12-4. and That that multiple-game stretch... Uh, on Thursday night football, on Thanksgiving, against Monday night, uh, what, five or four in five weeks, that's going to take its toll on Baltimore. I don't care how great New England is or isn't. Those games, like we had mentioned before, they they weigh a little bit more. They have a little bit more pressure to them. Teams are going to be ramped up. Certainly a team like New England, certainly a team like Pittsburgh, certainly a team like Dallas. And again, uh, Cleveland, toward the end of the season, could be fighting for a playoff spot, uh, and you're looking at uh, you know another primetime game at Cleveland. Again, all those things could could certainly um, you know make life a little harder for the Ravens toward the end of the season because of that stretch. I have them going 12 and four instead of maybe the the 13 and three that I had previously, I believe. Uh, but even still, I could see this team going even better and and, and being 14 and two. 
if things go well for him. I could also see him dipping down to maybe uh, 10 and 6, 11 and 5 if things go kind of bad for him and they have some, some bad injuries here and there. Yeah, I think 10 and 6 is really my low point for them. I think the injuries, you always have to take account for the injuries. Tavon Young goes out before the season even starts last season. That hinders a defense once, you know, your best slot corner goes down. You have to adjust. The Ravens did it. But, you know, if he's on the field, what does this team do? Are they better? Are they worse? So I think the injuries are a big part of it. But I agree with you, Matthew. I think right around that 10 and 6, 11 and 5 range is right kind of towards my low point. But we're going to head into our first break here. And when we return, we're going to be getting into more Ravens talk and talking about some rules that the NFL proposed that could pass and alter the game. So stay tuned for that. And we will be right back. But before we do that, Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar ever. They're tasty, they're healthy, and it's a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. It comes in 16 amazing flavors, 8 that are in the chocolate and nut flavor, and 8 that are in the chocolate and nut free flavor. Two of those include peanut butter brownie and mint brownie. They're also healthy, so they're great for the health conscious person. You can lose or maintain weight while indulging in a delicious treat. Go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON. You'll get $10 off your first order. Use promo code LOCKEDON for $10 off at BuiltBar.com. And we are back with our second segment on this Purple Friday episode featuring Matthew Stevens of Ravens Wire. Your host, Kevin Ostriker, also still with you here. And Matthew, we just got into that schedule for Baltimore. It's, it's looking pretty good to me. But now as we kind of move away from that, and there were some pretty big announcements made over the last few days with the NFL and, and a few rule changes, one which is gaining support. Now, nothing has been passed yet, but for this rule, which is potentially the onside kick rules could be changing, where instead of an onside kick, it would be a fourth and 15 for a team, and this could only be used twice a game, so you can't be doing it in the first quarter to try to get the ball back, you know, just do it over and over and over again. Are you in favor of the NFL potentially passing this rule? Absolutely. I mean, I, I think onside kicks, uh, the stats that I have is it even went up by a good margin, but you still only had seven out of 56 conversions actually happen. Um, onside kicks actually happen and, and work out. That, that kind of means like, you know, if you're a fan, and, and this is ultimately what this game's for is for the fans – uh, if, if you're a fan, man, you see them go ahead and line up for an onside kick, you, you kind of already assume it's over. Uh, fourth and 15, we've seen a lot more miracles happen. We've seen a lot more of those crazy plays uh, that, that end up happening, that end up working out. Those are the types of plays that well, I think will you'll be talking about in 10 years. Man, remember that fourth and 15? They needed to get the ball back. They went ahead and drove down the field, scored a touchdown. They ended up winning the game. Oh, my God, that's so amazing. Those are more hap or those are going to happen more often rather than ah oh, man you remember that time that onside kick no one talks like that so for a fan base it's super super important and I think it's also uh, you know it's good it, it shows the NFL learned from some of the other leagues that were were in existence the AAF had a very similar uh, role I believe it was fourth and twelve you know you know those those things add excitement to it and that's kind of part of the reason why I hope the NFL hopefully next time this all happens, the NFL starts investing into leagues like the AAF or the XFL in order to you know, maybe not diminish their marketplace, but in order to go ahead and test out rules, in order to get a lot of these players who are borderline 53-man roster guys, get them a chance to shine in another league in order to bring those guys in and make your product a better product. This is just one of those rules that I think will ultimately do that for fans. 
Yeah, I I agree with everything you said, and I think it's very important to kind of look at the NFL game as it is and say, you know, how can we add more excitement? How can we make it, you know, better for these fans and even the players as well to, to get that excitement out of the game of football? But when you look at this rule, Matthew, and you look at this Ravens team, how do, would you expect they tackle one of these scenarios if a fourth and 15 situation comes up where they need to get the ball back to win the game? Man, well, I'd like to think that Baltimore would have, you know, some plans specifically uh, drawn out for that, things that they, they think would uh, w- would work out for them offensively. But, you know, I, I think when we look at uh, last year, you, you're talking about the tight end. That, that seems to be kind of their go-to or, or maybe uh, on fourth and 15, maybe Marquise Brown on, on a quick slant, catch him uh, with a little bit of room to, to run. Hopefully he can make something happen. I think those things are, are plays that I would expect Baltimore to do. Uh, if this were previous years, it would probably be like a screen pass to a running back or something uh, that, that goes for three yards and they, they just fail. So, yeah, who knows entirely what Baltimore's going to end up doing when it comes to that? Yeah, it's difficult to say right now, but I'm sure that Greg Roman would have his personnel out there. And I think that Lamar Jackson, we've seen him make so much magic happen. I think that he would be able to make more magic happen on those plays. But Matthew, we look at the NFL and starting to ease some restrictions, some teams opening backup facilities. Now, Baltimore, they're not doing it quite yet. But just how big of a step was this for the NFL to have some teams open up their facilities? I don't think it was that big of a deal. Um, you know, I, I, the headline obviously is that some teams are, are opening their facilities. That's great as a headline. Uh, but the reality is, is you know, they're, they're limiting the number of staff. We're not talking about coaches. We're not talking about players. We're not talking about executives. We're talking about like security. We're talking about secretaries. We're talking about marketing people. We're talking about, you know, the, the uh, groundskeepers. Those guys are the guys coming back. So ultimately for the players, for, for the teams, you know, it doesn't really mean a whole lot. Um, but it, it, it does maybe point to teams are starting to, okay, we're starting to come back. We're starting to test these things. We're starting to see what's happening as we start bringing people back into these facilities. Can we start to bring back coaches? Can we start to bring back these players? Do we have the systems in place to handle uh, uh, testing regularly? to handle positive tests and how do we handle that? Um, It's the the initial gears moving uh, toward what is ultimately going to be training camp and and the preseason uh, where the NFL is really going to have to kind of have regulations down and everything's going to have to be uh, unified across the league in order to get everything uh, working without one team kind of getting favoritism over another. Uh, At the very least, it's, it's the initial gears turning in that movement, which... You know, again, for football fans, for any sports fan right now, you're probably starved for sports. That's that's a good thing. Uh, but just don't read too much into it. Right. It's, it's a very small step in what I think is, you know, as time goes on, it'll continue to evolve and evolve. But for now, you know, we can take solace in the fact that things are at least very slowly moving along. But next here, Matthew, when you look at the Ravens and what they're doing virtually, they've had, you know, team, I guess, quote unquote, legends speak to the team through virtual Zoom conferences, WebEx, whatever they're using. They had Ray Lewis do it. They had Eric Weddle do it recently. And I know we've talked so much about the culture and how these guys just it seems like once they're in a Raven uniform, they're really Ravens for life in most instances, really minus a few players. I mean, how important is it in a time like this? 
to get the veteran knowledge from veteran players when you can't really go to a facility and work out with the veterans right now. You have guys like Ray Lewis and Eric Weddle talking to you. Just how important is that for these young guys? I think it's important, especially for the guys who you know, were around over the last few years uh, and, and maybe need to step up. People that, that have been around a guy like Eric Weddle and need him to you know, hey, this is why we do these things. This is what's going on. Just kind of that that constant refresher of this is the Ravens' way. This is how we do things. This is why we do things. And, and, and this is ultimately the motivation. And having successful players like Ray Lewis and Eric Weddle tell you those things, I think maybe means a little bit more than, than when a coach does it. Uh, I know at the very least for a lot of players, uh, you know, the coaching staff really is uh, a, hu- a hugely important thing. And I know they kind of really listen to those guys. But Having one of your peers say it, I, I think, means a little bit more to some of these players, especially a lot of the young guys that are coming into the league or are relatively new into the league, and, and maybe need, again, that refresher of, man, college was the way you did it before. You weren't good enough in college to be an NFL player yet. Now you're an NFL player. This is what you got to do in order to get the job done, and this is why we do what we do. Uh, I, I, I hope that those things make a huge difference, um, but at the very least, it, it's a chance for these guys to kind of kill a little bit of the time uh, and, and maybe have some more of those camaraderie moments that I think are, are super crucial at this time when everyone's kind of maybe a little bit concerned on, on if the season's going to start, are we going to have training camp? Are we going to have preseason? What are things going to look like? How are jobs going to be figured out uh, at, at this time of the year? Those things I think uh, are, can only be positives for a lot of those guys. Yeah, the Ravens do so much in terms of locker room building and, and chemistry. It, it really goes to show just how many guys, you know, are willingly stepping up and saying, look, I'll mentor some of these guys or I'll talk to them on a Zoom call and give them my knowledge. I think that'll go a long way. And you're right. It, it is a way to kill the time. But for Baltimore, the lessons that are going to be taken away from these meetings and, you know, this these are the offseason programs up until they're allowed back in the facility. So it's just taking the place of that. And I think that it's really important to you know get as many voices in there as possible and as many experiences in there as well but we're going to head into our second and final break and when we get back we're going to be looking ahead to 2020 for baltimore a bit and talking about more ravens football so stay tuned and we will be back soon welcome back to the final segment of this purple friday locked on ravens episode kevin ostriker of ravens wire still here with matthew stevens of ravens wire and matthew the Ravens roster, I think it's about as set as it's going to be. Now, obviously, Baltimore might go out and sign one or two more veteran guys. Maybe they'll wait for some veteran cuts to happen. Just how set in stone do you think this Ravens roster is? And, I mean, where do you think the team could look to maybe make one or two veteran additions? I think it's pretty well set. You know, I mean, there's still guys that are out there, and maybe you start making some changes. If a guy gets injured or, or, or starts showing some of those signs, or guys that, that – you know, you were hoping we're going to come back maybe healthy and, and aren't going to be done in time. That's where the small changes happen. You're going to bring in some depth here and there. But, uh, you, you know, you're not going to go signing a, a big-name guy at this point, certainly not with the little bit of cap space that Baltimore has. Uh, now is just kind of the, the, the fine-tuning, the moving guys around the, hey, you know what, maybe we want another offensive lineman. Uh, maybe we need another tackle. Maybe we need things like that. All right, well, let's get rid of this wide receiver that you know we we know isn't going to make the team, and we'll bring this guy in instead. Hopefully, that guy can can make the cut, or at the very least, that's a practice a practice squad guy uh, over the next few years. Those are the small changes that Baltimore is going to make when it comes to this roster. 
Uh, as far as you know, what they could still be looking for, I still am concerned about the the depth at offensive tackle. Uh, when you look at the the depth chart, you, you've got Ronnie Stanley, you've got Orlando Brown Jr. Obviously, those are your two Pro Bowl starters. But behind that is really only Andre Smith. That's the only actual tackle they have on this roster. You hope a guy like Tyree Phillips can can step in and maybe do some of that stuff. Uh, ben Bredesen, I know, has gotten a few snaps, I believe, in, in the Senior Bowl uh, at tackle, but he is by no means a, a tackle. A lot of the, the the things that have kind of happened in there is, well, you're, you're hoping that no one gets an injury. You're hoping that you don't have to put Andre Smith into it. Uh, but if one of your, your starting tackles goes down, I think Baltimore is going to be scrambling quite a lot. So we'll be getting some more experienced depth uh, on the outside, or at least a handful of young guys that maybe can push Andre Smith for for a, a primary backup spot uh, or, or can play guard and tackle. Those types of things, I think, are, are going to be super important for this team moving forward. Um, safety, I'd like to see a little bit more depth there, and I know it's a position that a lot of other fans aren't necessarily uh, super keyed in on when it comes to that, but you know, Earl Thomas, he is toward the end of his career, while, again, you never really plan for, for injuries per se, you never, you never prepare for them, you, you can't help but to then go, well, man, you know, what if, what if Earl Thomas goes down? What if Chuck Clark goes down? Who are the guys that are behind them? And ultimately, Baltimore doesn't have you know, a solid guy, so it's going to be a lot of competition for who those, those primary backup jobs are going to go to. As we've seen in previous years, Baltimore likes having as many guys as humanly possible in that competition in order to figure out which ones they want to keep. Uh, so those are two positions that, for me personally, I'd like to see just a little bit more depth on before they enter training camp. Uh, but if Baltimore were to start training camp right now, I think they'd be pretty solid regardless. Yeah, that's kind of where mind, my mind is, too, at least. When you look at, yes, they could use a few more veterans here and there. But if the Ravens, you know, were forced to head into training camp tomorrow and prepare for the season and go into the season with the roster they have at the moment, I think they'd be pretty all right. But when you look at the roster, Matthew, there are a lot of young guys who could potentially step up, maybe veterans who are, you know, looking for that second chance also could potentially step up. Who's one guy who you think is overlooked on this roster who could have a major impact for the Ravens in 2020? Man, well, one of the guys that I'm, I'm super excited to see this year is Miles Boykin. I know everyone's talking about, about Marquise Brown, and I expect that he's going to have a stellar season, but Miles Boykin seems to be kind of being set up to be Baltimore's really kind of main outside wide receiver, that outside possession receiver, that, that maybe outside downfield uh, uh, guy, and we know he can block, so he should get tons of snaps this year. The, the big caveat is, can he go ahead and develop a little bit further as a wide receiver, as a route runner? Can he do those small things that we saw the flashes last year? Can we see him go ahead and become a little bit more consistent and be targeted a little bit more often? I think we can, and I think we do. I think Miles Boykin is, is primed for a huge jump in production from his rookie year to his second season. And I think he's a guy that maybe a lot of fans and a lot of pundits uh, nationally are completely overlooking simply because he's not that quote-unquote number one wide receiver. He doesn't have that insane speed. He's not like six foot nine and, and 250 pounds. He's, he's not crazy in any one way uh, or any one uh, trait that makes, I think, a lot of people focus in on him. So 
he, I think he's being underlooked right now, and I expect Boykin to really show up in training camp uh, and impress early and often. Yeah, I agree. I think that with the Ravens not really going out and addressing the position outside of drafting Devin Duvernay and James Prochet, obviously signing Willie Steed to that extension in season, bringing back guys like Chris Moore and DeAnthony Thomas, those are guys who will compliment Miles Boykin, not take away his snaps. So I think that, you know, Boykin is a very good choice. And I think the Ravens are relying on him to have a big jump in 2020. But then on the opposite side of that, Matthew, a question I've kind of been interested in is who's one Raven who you think, you know, had a great year or has had a great career, but could potentially take that step back for Baltimore in 2020? Oh, man, I feel like I'm getting set up for this. I, I fans are going to rip me for it. But Lamar Jackson. Uh, you know, if we go by history, guys typically don't win back-to-back MVP awards. Uh, typically, they take a step back. That's just the fact of the matter. Uh, Lamar Jackson, I think, will improve as a passer. I think he will get better as a quarterback. I think he'll get a little smarter. He'll become a little bit more patient in some ways. But when it comes to stats, and really, that's the thing that the fans are going to care about, Did he put up more touchdowns? Did he put up more passing yards? Did he put up more rushing yards? And the answer to that's going to be, I think, no. I think we're going to see a little bit of a regression in stats as he becomes smarter and realizes he doesn't have to win the game on every single play. Uh, He he can go ahead and let a drive die, and we'll hit him back next time. we got a good defense. I don't have to score a touchdown right now. I don't have to do something crazy with the football. Uh, I, I can throw it away. Yeah, and I think with, you know, Baltimore being able last year to score 30, 35, 40 points, I mean, even 45, Lamar Jackson, you know, had a phenomenal 2019 year. In 2020, I think the defense is going to be much more heavily relied on to keep the Ravens in games so that, you know, inevitably when Lamar Jackson does make a mistake because nobody's perfect, he wasn't perfect in his MVP season, he won't be perfect in 2020, the defense will be able to keep the offense in the game to be able to let them do what they do to win the football games. So I think you're right with that one, Matthew. And when you look at the Ravens, their roster, very, very well balanced, but There's a lot of depth of positions, and that is a very good problem to have. But then you get to, you know, the preseason, and then cut day comes. And you can only keep 55 people on this roster and obviously practice squad spots as well. Who are some guys who you think, you know, on a team that didn't have as much depth could potentially be good rotational pieces, but on this Ravens team might have their roster spots in jeopardy? Man, that's a tough one. Uh, You know, I I think when you look at the running back group, I know everyone is is kind of maybe starting to – focus on the idea of four running backs. But the reality is, is, you know, Baltimore struggles to keep that many guys. Certainly if they're going to keep three quarterbacks, four running backs is a luxury that, you know, that I don't know if they can necessarily afford, um, especially with all their defensive line depth. Uh, you know, guys like Gus Edwards, Justice Hill, aren't going to be fighting for a roster spot. I, I mean, I think that's just the reality. Mark Ingram should be cemented in. Uh, J.K. Dobbins going to be cemented in as a second-round pick. Uh, the, the other two guys, though, are, are far from locks to make this team. And if Baltimore only wants to keep three, then obviously one of them is going to have to go somewhere. Which one that is, you know, that will, will be interesting. That will be one of the battles, I think, in training camp that maybe a lot of people aren't necessarily focusing in on, uh, but will once it starts and we start kind of seeing those carries matter a little bit more. I also look to the defensive line. Baltimore last year, I believe, kept a total of, what, five defensive linemen on their 53-man roster initially. That proved to be a wrong move. Uh, Baltimore proceeded to add a bunch more throughout the season, but 
you know, you're picking up guys off their couch ultimately, or guys that were just cut somewhere else. You know, you're not going to get the the cream of the crop typically. Uh, Baltimore, I think, did well with it throughout the season, but this off season, they clearly had that in mind. Went, no, no, we're fixing it. We're going to go ahead and bring in guys that we love, guys that can go ahead and do this, and they revamped their defensive line. But they also just added a ton of talent there too. So, you know, which one of those guys? Dalen Mack is a guy that as a fifth round pick last year should make this team. Is he? Maybe, maybe not. Uh, he's going to have to go ahead and fight for a roster spot. Broderick Washington, again, another guy that I think Baltimore would love to keep. I think he has the tenacity that, that Baltimore likes from that, that spot. May not make the roster. Uh, a lot of those guys are really going to have to, to kind of win things out. Jihad Ward, for that matter, again, not a lock to make this roster either. So uh, defensive line, again, is, is just another group that they're going to have to get weeded out somewhere. Uh, and it's a shame that they're not going to be able to keep everybody, but you hope maybe you can get some of those guys on the practice squad, keep them in line for a job maybe a year or two from now when they develop just that little bit more and you've got more space for them. Uh, And as well, offensive line, the entire interior of the offensive line. As we saw last year at training camp, Baltimore brought a bunch of guys in, let them compete for the job, and they just ultimately started trading or, or, or cutting guys left and right. So I kind of expect that to be the same way with left guard, center, and right guard really all up for grabs this year. There's going to be a lot of competition. There's a lot of guys in those spots. Ultimately, you're not going to be able to keep all of them. Who's going to win a spot? Who's going to win the starting jobs? Uh, and how many of those guys ultimately do, do the Ravens want to keep with Marshall Yonda not there and maybe having a little bit more uh, uncertainty in those positions? I think that's going to be a, a huge battle and a good spot for, for some guys to, um, again, maybe make the practice squad. Yeah, ultimately, I think the Ravens are going to have some tough decisions to make. But, I mean, you mentioned what they tried to do last preseason, trading guys who either weren't cutting it or just weren't going to make the roster. And getting value back for them, I think that's going to be something that Eric DaCosta tries to do in 2020 as well. But, Matthew, that's all that I have for you today. Thanks once again for coming on the show and talking to me. And next week when we chat again, it's just the name of the game is content here. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Again, these are the time of the years or times of the year where uh, we have to start being creative, man. You, you got to start digging. You got to start figuring things out. Uh, and and now is as good of a time as any to really start kind of jumping into what Baltimore can do and maybe what's going on with their roster uh, at, at this time of the year. So excited to do it, man. Oh, absolutely. So we're going to take a two-day break here on Locked on Ravens. And when we return on Monday, it's, of course, going to be more Ravens talk here. So stay tuned for that. And I will see you on Monday.